Welcome to the Genesis Speaks podcast, the transformative power of women's stories, a platform that empowers women's storytelling to promote collective vulnerability, acceptance, and healing. I am your host, Jennifer Malcolm, self-made entrepreneur, women advocate, and life balance expert. So welcome to the next episode of Genesis Speaks podcast, the transformative power of women's stories, where every woman has a story and every story matters. And I'm super excited through COVID world that today my friend Laura Steinbrink actually had courage to come out to my house and into our our studio and actually do a live recording. So welcome, Laura. Thank you. And I'm going to give a quick introduction about Laura and we're just going to jump right in. So Laura is the owner of Emerald Built Environments and Software Startup Brilliancy. Emerald has worked with more than 380 projects across the world including two facilities receiving first of their kind lead certification. Brilliancy, her second business, is a digital platform and mobile app that enables people to connect electric, gas, and water utilities in one place. Laura is also an amazing corporate citizen, volunteering with the Adoption Network of Cleveland, Starting Point, and the Leadership Center. So welcome, Laura. Thank you. So for context, Laura and I have known each other since I think 2011, mm-hmm. and we are in some networking groups together, EO Cleveland, and we just went golfing the other day together, we so we felt after after the golf course, we could survive being in the studio together, but just really honored that you're here. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome, and honored to call you my friend first. I know that through the last several years, especially the last 12 months, I will say we, you and I have had more in-depth conversations more hearts to heart, more the wisdom in your soul and the kindness and compassion in your heart uh, humbles me and really honored to call you my friend. Thank you. Very welcome. So today it's about you and your story and what you're comfortable to share and not share. And I want to, I know you're born and raised in Cleveland Mm -hmm. and want you to start kind of what you wanted to share from the beginning of who you were as a little girl, and we'll evolve from there. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah, so. um, (laughs) We're both crying already. So that's a a given here in the studio. So it's just, it's all welcome with tears. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah, no, so I was born in Cleveland. Um, I was born um, and placed for adoption immediately. And that's all good, you know, like, right? It's great because another family got to take me home and welcome me um into their world and so that's the life i always have known i was i've always known that i was adopted um two parents with a biological child my older brother um and i grew up here and have pretty much always been here except when I left for college and a few right. years after college. Right. Yeah. So we hear stories that some, you know, adoptees, you know, find out at age eight, 12, 16, 18 happenstance, but your, your adoptee parents told you early on mm-hmm. and was that, and I know it's, it's hard looking back as a child, like what was normal, not normal, but was it just normal to you? Like, Hey, I am adopted. I have, uh, a mom and dad who did want me and um like how how were your emotions then or maybe it was just normal um so I always knew I don't ever remember being told okay. um I mean there are pictures of 
the like cake that they had. I think, I don't know if there was like a shower or a celebration when they brought me home or whatever. So, and you know, as a like little girl or whatever, you probably like looked through the picture. Sure. So like, I, I always knew it and I remembered it. Um, but I know, I always also knew because my parents had a biological child. Like I knew I was different. Sure. And so I think like that part was probably always there. Um, but I, when I was a teenager, I had a situation that sort of gelled for me, like uh, an urgency to um, address the topic. Okay. And so if you're open to sharing, yeah. what was that urgency that you're like, hmm, may need to dig a little deeper? Yeah. So um, I have, a, her, I had, still have, um, <laughs> still, doing, girl. Still, still dealing with um, herniated discs in my lower back. And um, they were so bad when I was in high school, I wound up having to have back surgery, which is really not a normal thing for teenagers. And when I was going through that process, they told me that, you know, this was a congenital issue. And I was like, what is congenital mean? Sure. And they're like, oh, that means, you know, it was probably inherited. And I was like, oh, so, you know, that was like mind blow explosion. And it was like, what else is wrong with me? Sure. Right. And it's just, you know, like teenage brain like probably death spiraled me out as, you know, into this, like, what else is wrong with me um, situation. And so I, at that point in time, just had to find out. It was like, I couldn't do anything else, but find out. And so I went on a mission at age 16 to find my biological parents. Wow. And I'm sure there's that trigger that is like a, that light switch that goes off. Like, okay, I know I'm adopted. I'm in a home. I'm in high school, going through sports, have a back surgery. And then when that light switch goes on, like, all right, what else could be wrong with me? And I can't ask the two people who are my caretakers, parents, uh, to dig any more into that. Like that would be like a burning fire in my soul. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how did your adoptive parents react to Hey, I'm going to go on this quest to find my birth parents. Yeah, well, so I pretty much say my um, adoptive mother was not <laughs> very on board with that. No, no. I mean, she did her best not sure. to be against it, but she couldn't handle it. No. Um, that's hard. I'm sure yeah. that's a, as as a. I mean, I'm looking at. You know, we both have five. We have five kids between the two of us, and five teenagers. Your oldest is 20. 20. Right. Yeah. So, but five teenager-ish. And I can't imagine that any of them at any point, and we know that our kids wound us. We know that our kids <laughs> challenge us. We know that our kids overwhelm us and we absolutely love them and we mm-hmm. want the best for them. And we will give heaven and earth to uh, pave a way to make their lives better. So I'm sure it was very bittersweet for your mom. Like I under- there's a, there had to be a part of her that like, I understand but it still hurts like hell. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, yeah, my, so, but they, I mean, but they enabled it to happen. So, you know, Ohio had closed adoption records. Wow. So I think I was brought to Ohio intentionally to be born here. Um, Cause by your birth mom, by my birth mom, because Ohio had closed adoption oh. records. So at that, what that means is like, supposedly I should have never been able to find this information out, but there was this organization just being formed, Adoption Network Cleveland, back in 
the, well, I don't even know if Betsy was forming it back then, but she was the person sure. who, the, you know, the founder of Adoption Network Cleveland. Um, and I was happening to work with her mom at the clothing store. It was like, you know, everything is just so um, serendipitous, yeah. right? The way things happen. And we worked at this clothing store after school and had met her mom and my parents like knew her father because my dad was a lawyer, her dad was a lawyer, blah, 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 blah. Next thing you know, there was this underground network of nurses who worked at Metro where all the babies would be born, wow. you know, and that's where I was born. And so they would find the original birth certificates and they would call wow. you and tell you what was on the original birth certificate. And then I would go down to Cleveland Public Library where they had phone books wow. from cities all across America. And I would search through the phone books for the last names. And then I found the last names of the birth mother because there was no birth father listed on my okay. birth certificate. But I found the birth mother, um, a bunch of them in Minnesota. And I just started calling. Unbelievable. All right. So one, it sounds like the Underground Railroad, like this secret <laughs> society of nurses who are in the basement of Metro, you know, having these adopted. And I wonder what was in their heart. Like, Everyone wants to know where they come from. Everyone wants to know and have closure, whether you fully reunite with, you know, birth parents. My sister, her youngest is adopted from the Philippines. It's all, he's always known he's been adopted. He's Filipino. My brother-in-law is Filipino. He looks just like Jake, my brother-in-law. Um, but they've always been very open. Like you have another mom, she's on the other side of the world. And as he's getting older, he's asking more and more questions. And my sister is doing great. She's doing a great job navigating. You know, she's like, I at some point, I think we'll go on a quest and we'll go to the back to the Philippines and and uh, meet his birth mom. But just know that there's like this underground tribe in Cleveland of nurses, and that you literally had to go name by name, old school. There's no Google to like search and do hardcore investigation. How long did that take you? Um, I feel like it was two or three Saturdays trips down to the library. And my, and my father, um, who's just brilliant and very just curious. So her her um, family last name is Lubavitch. And so he sent me to Pennsylvania and he sent me to Wisconsin and Minnesota. And so I was looking in major cities. Sure. And so I started probably Pennsylvania first because it's closer to Ohio. Right. And then when I struck out there, he probably then sent me to Wisconsin. There might've been another state sure. in between. I don't recall that part, but then I remember I went to Minnesota and I started in Minneapolis and St. Paul and that's where I found them. So are and, you literally like dialing up the phone and- Well, so I took my 10 cents, right? Cause it was 10 cents a page <laughs> on the Xerox machine. Yes. Do you remember? Right. And so <laughs> I had my, my dimes. Yes. <laughs> All these things that we don't use anymore. Exactly. Change. <laughs> and and so I would take the copies of the pages and I bring them home and because we didn't cell phones right. or right. and um and actually I, I sat on it for a while. My parents were going for their annual trip out of town and they made me call before they went out of town because they didn't want me to do it sure. while they were gone. Right. So I called one Sunday afternoon and I was like, and what I did, um, I called a couple of people and I told them I was looking for her and I was a friend from high school. Okay. And then I found one that knew where she was and had her phone number. And so when I finally called her, I said, I was born at 2.52 a.m. on June 16th, 1971 at Metro General Hospital in Cleveland. And I was placed for adoption. And I think you're my birth mother. 
That's a lot. Spit it all out. <laughs> just like that. <laughs> and like, holy. And it was like quiet. And she was just like, I am. And you are. And, wow. and I've, you know, always hoped that you would call me. And I'm wow. so glad that you did. And I've thought about you every day and blah, 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 blah. So. Wow. It was like very welcoming. Wow. Like that, I mean, it could have gone either way. It could have like, gone, yeah. Right. <laughs> Disconnect, change the number. Uh, so that's powerful. So how did you bridge or build that relationship with your birth mom? Um, so she, like I said, she was welcoming. So it was interesting because like shortly after I was born, so she has a daughter who is four years older than me, okay. who she has right um so there are a lot of questions in my mind I'm like okay you had one and then you had me and why didn't you keep me what's wrong with me so unfortunately this creates more of a reinforcement to the what's wrong with me problem and abandonment Um, and abandonment right and um but and so but she remarried shortly after I was born and I'm like okay it's still not clicking. It doesn't right. add up, but anyway, so she, but, and then that husband, she had been married to that husband for like 15 years, but he died in a motorcycle accident. So then she had just remarried and that guy didn't know about me. So when I called, she was like, yeah, but mm-hmm. not a good time. So, um, she wanted to write me a letter, but my parents didn't want her to have my address. I can't remember long story short. We gave her somebody else's address. Sure. And she was like the conduit. Yep. And, but then eventually she was allowed to have my address and we were pen pals because we didn't have email right. in 1987. Yeah. So you're still like 16, 17 years old. I was now. 17 years old. Yeah, it was March now, of 1987. Pen pals with your or birth 16. mom. Yeah, I was 16. Yeah. 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 And that lasted all through the college, all through the 90s. And when did they invent email? I don't remember. Like 93. Three, four. I was in, I remember having email, like my first email in college. So I was 94 to 98. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. That'd so right then, the it was, then right. it was, then turned to email and letters, Christmas cards. Right. right. And then in 2004, um, we met in person wow. and she and my biological sister flew to Cleveland for like a day. Wow. And we met. And how was that? It was kind of cool. It was kind of kind of weird. But kind of cool. <laughs> now, were your were your adoptee parents with you? Or my dad was. Your dad was okay. So, how were your your adoptee? So, I want to be clear when we say yeah. your parents. So, you, how were your adoptive parents during this time of pen pal, Christmas cards, emails? Were they excited for you? Were they? I mean, there, I'm sure there's a piece of protection. There's a piece of jealousy. There's a piece of loss that could be there. But how did they navigate those emotions? Um, so my, and I call them my parents, right? Because they are, they they raised me. Um, and here, into the tears. So, I mean, they, they, they wanted to be supportive, right? And my dad really was, and he was curious and whatever, but my parents don't know how to do emotions. And my mom really doesn't. And my mom for as much as she tried yeah um she needed me to be something I wasn't Mm -hmm. and needed me to fill something in her that maybe I couldn't Mm -hmm. that's um and that was you know dating back to the moment I came home 
where I needed to be nurtured and loved. Right. And she needed me to fill a hole in her heart. And so I think then when I started down this journey at 16, it just reinforced challenges for her. And um, she, no, she wouldn't talk to me about it. Wow. So she wouldn't honor the journey for me. She doesn't, I mean, she'll, she doesn't say ill about it, but she doesn't support it. She doesn't support right. it. Give life to it, breathe into it. But you, and you've shared with me, you know, that, that emotional peace that your parents, especially your mom, could or couldn't give you, you know, you, you felt from a young age, like, all right, you filled a hole, you just said, it, you, you filled a hole in her heart, which is great, but that did not mean that it filled the cat, you know, the, the, the volcano or the, the, the mountain, the valley of love or support that or hole in your heart that you also needed. Mm-hmm. And has that, did that improve as things got older or did you kind of, cause now you're an adult woman, you know, is that improved or is that just kind of like you're, you're there, I'm here and I love you mom. And, um, so I'm, it's a really powerful question. Um, Share what you're comfortable and nuts. You're good. No, no, no. It's good. You're good. It's good. Mm. So, um, you know, I've at 16, so I find out, you know, I have these herniated discs and it starts this journey to who am I, what, what's wrong with me. And, um, you know, I, I find the biological mother and, you know, I, I start therapy. Like, I mean, thankfully my parents were wise enough yeah. to recognize that maybe some extra right. help sure. would, would be helpful. Um, and I, I do definitely thank them for introducing me to that, that tool yeah. in, um, in life. And, and I've stuck with therapy, like to this day, I swear by it yeah. and different modals of it. I mean, I've at this point in time at approaching 50, I've probably done it all I yeah. could, and could write a book yeah right and, and the I'll, different mechanisms of their mechanisms and what they're good for and like if what I learned in different chapters and like you know whatever I mean in a different points in time like I think think I am a therapist <laughs> um but so I like a, wait wait so sign that recommendation if you're ever with Laura and say you know what have you ever tried therapy or would you be open to therapy she probably will punch you in the nose because she knows more about this space than most people yeah, or in a or, good way. Or if you're ever with Laura and like you tell her that you think you should figure out what you want to like, be in but, life or yeah, do in like, life, whatever. Like, let's let's give my life No, nope. get out of my face. No. Nope. Um. So, <laughs> sorry, sidebar. <laughs> That's awesome. Um. But wait, where was I going with this? Um. You had a really good question in there. Your mom in the chasm, chasm, the hole in your your heart, and as oh, an adult, and then as yep, an adult. As an okay. Adult. So, um, at I think more recently, so in the last three years, I've gone through like another round of discovery because sort of at each layer at 16, it's this like, I'm adopted and I have to deal with this and what's wrong with me and I have to find this birth mother. Then I find her and I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I can continue on and I'm like a little bit healed, right? Sure. So I go and then, you know, and then I'm going to get married and then I like think I need some more therapy and I should talk about that. And so I, you know, sort of like revisit this whole, um, 
adoption thing and um you know I, I i do some more stuff around there and then i have babies and like start you know things are starting to get like just a little bit more complex and right. i don't know i'm like i'm touching on some things and there's just this thing in there but i'm not really figuring it out and okay. so there's a lot of like there's a black hole hmm. that is there in my 20s hmm. and in my 30s and really okay and in my <laughs> 40s but i don't really know what it is but i do know what it is but i don't know what it is right and but it's there and it's growing wow. and through this time my mother hmm. um by the end of it i'm screaming at her right. like screaming at her she tells me she comes over i remember one time i'm in my apartment because i'm getting divorce number two right um so we can see now how some probably problem of this yeah. black hole in my life um has manifested itself that I'm not making some good choices and whatever, but I'm down cleaning up dog crap off the floor behind the counter in the kitchen. And I pop myself up and she comments about my hair being messy. Now this goes back to the little girl who never could be quaffed perfectly enough, who always had to be perfectly quaffed to walk out the door, who never got to pick her own clothes. It felt like she would probably tell you I did. But it never felt like I had my own image, my own whatever. I had to be her little doll, chooky doll. Yeah. Right. She would curl my hair and it had to like flip out at the bottom and she would put a curling iron on it. And like, right. Like it just, it makes it hurt my stomach when I think about it. Right. And, um, and that was my everyday existence as a little girl, right? Every day. So anyway, so I pop my head up and she makes a comment about my hair's not brushed. And I just explode, explode at her like a crazy person, wow. like a crazy person. Right. Right? right. But then, so that was like, I don't know, call that 2014. Sure. 2017, one morning, minding my own business. And I get a phone call from my cousin who is my age, right? She's has the same last name as me because okay. our dads were brothers. Sure. And I didn't change my last name when I, well, I don't, whatever, my maiden last name. And um, her, it's her middle name on her Facebook page. And anyway, she had been approached by some women in Atlanta okay. who um, had know my brother. Okay. And, and I, he's- Older. Oh, my biology oh, yep. or my parents' biological, biological son that you were adopted. Yeah, yep. and they had been he had been sexually cyber stalking them in Atlanta. Wow! And wanted my cousin, who they thought was me, his sister. Yeah, because of the last name. Yeah, to warn my brother that they were going to go to the police and file yep. some sort of restraining order, right. harassment, and to get him to stop. And I think they knew him through church or through something. Okay. And so they were trying the peaceful route first. Sure. And so she's like, Laura, what should I do? And I was like, I got this. Don't worry about it. Not, not your fan. Right. Right. We're good. And, but. And you had no recollection of this stuff happening in Atlanta. With like your brother. No, yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I just didn't know. Yeah, sure. But, but I did know about my brother mm-hmm. and his tendencies in this way, because between the ages of eight and 14, my brothers actually abused me for six years. Okay. So now you are dealing with identity, sexual abuse, Mm -hmm. 
finding your birth mom, jealousy from you know your 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 adoptee mom, and did your okay, so what did you do with this information? So your your cousin calls you, tells you this. You're now not surprised to hear this about your brother because you know there's past history because mm-hmm. you experienced it. Did you share this with your family or did you just kind of keep it? Oh, no, I did. Well, I mean, unfortunately, it, it kind of was like, what do you call it? Straw that broke the camel's yeah. back. Like yeah. it, but thank God, because like the black hole, I think yeah. now is finally like Erupted. what it happens in the science fiction movies. Yeah. Does it blow up or space worm or something? I don't know what happens, right. but it goes away. Right. Don't right. they like yeah. get rid of yeah. them? Yeah. Um, so um, we're just gonna be scientific <laughs> scientists listening to this are like that is not even remotely accurate. I don't know what these two fools are talking about, but it's our best attempt at layman's of something happening. Right, to right, the, right. Black the black hole is, is now <laughs> dissipating. Um so <laughs> we're time warping through no, it. No, I know we, we never we never yeah. pretended to be scientists. No, so. but um so I mean, yes. Yeah, so I, you know, first told my brother, you know, all sorts of expletives about what he is and how could he do this. Um, I mean, I've, I felt extreme guilt and shame that of guilt, really guilt, like that because I hadn't done anything about what had happened to me, that he was going to go do this to other people. And I, I felt like this was my responsibility and I had to like, I just, right. It was just awful. And then, so I told my parents, now the reality is that I believe fundamentally, I had told my parents right before I got married the first time when I was 30, sure. 29, they don't remember, they, don't, they claim I didn't tell them, but remember that therapy I told you I yeah. went to right before I was 30? Yeah. I, I know I told them. Yeah. They yeah. claim I didn't tell them. Wow. And you never talked about it growing up. You never uh, said anything to your parents between eight and 14. There was one time they caught us and they pulled us both aside and we both denied it because, you know, this is what happens. He would tell me I would get in trouble. Right. And I was afraid to get in trouble right. because I was supposed to be the good one. Right. And the perfect one. And we right. always expect more from you, Laura, right. because by the way, my brother's deaf. So oh, that's right. Right. So I always had the, you're not deaf. So we expect more from you. Oh. Part of right. the whole and situation. And for clarity though, I want to, I want to say this to you. You didn't get caught. You didn't get caught. Your parents walked into something that your brother was doing to you. Yes. Well, this is true. So I, I want you to hear that. Like you didn't get caught doing anything. Something was happening to you. Yes. And I did forget the element of your brother being deaf because you also, your parents did, never learned sign language is what you mm-hmm. shared with me. Mm-hmm. So just that modality of communication mm-hmm. and yeah, they raised him to be in a hearing world with lip reading. With lip reading. Mm-hmm. And did you learn to sign language? No, we tried to learn when he was like 13 one summer and he told us to stop because we were so bad. <laughs> You're that bad at it. Yeah, I mean, but yeah. we didn't it need is, it because exactly. we already had our communication. Sure. So at 2017, your cousin calls, you confront your brother. What happens then? So I told my parents, I mean, they... You know, it's like one phone call. I tell them they, you know, kind of were like at shock. They didn't quite know what to do because they're hearing about what I'm saying about Atlanta. And then they're hearing me telling them about what happened to me and telling them I told them before and they're denying that they heard it. 
and in before. And so they get start getting defensive. Right. And that's really probably not the response right. that would be helpful to me right now. Sure. And so that just sort of spirals in the yeah. wrong direction. But either way, you know, the can of worms has already opened yeah. up inside me. So I'm like in a fit of rage. Right. And I'm just in all sorts sorts right. of crazy nut job situation. I mean, literally yeah. off the, off the rails. Oh, wow. um, but thank God, because like, you know, then I go right back into the therapy and I have all sorts of good new therapies. Yeah. Now I'm into the little girl, like, you know, Feeling. visioning therapies yeah. and in the being hypnotized, like yep. beating pillows with brackets therapy and like screaming yeah. at people therapies. Like, I mean, yeah. in private screaming at people <laughs> and actually screaming at people like I'm yeah. going for a mother. I mean, right. I, I will. But it, that had yeah. been stuffed down into your soul and your body, your emotions for mm-hmm. 30 plus years. Oh, yeah. All of that. Oh, yeah. So you're finally at age approximately 45 saying, I'm getting this out of me. Mm-hmm. And yes, you've done therapies. You've got tools through the years to help you overcome certain things, but never getting to the root of the demon that, you know, has been haunting you forever. Yeah. So I want to go back though, because you said that your brother, you know, so so in a, the, another previous podcast on sexual abuse, talking about how uh, contriving and controlling the predator, sexual predator, sexual, you know, the one that, that is doing the sexual abuse does the don't get me in trouble or be a good girl or positive affirmation. Thank you so much. You've really helped me through X, Y, or Z. and how paralyzing that that feels as an eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 14 year old girl that's stifling the voice, stifling the the emotions that are normal and healthy of uh, of wanting to run, scream, get away, but but also having that positive reinforcement. So you're getting mixed messages at a young age and trying to figure out how to navigate those. Yeah. So 2017, you get into therapy. How does the story proceed from there? Um, I mean, I like, it's like a full-time job. I mean, and I was committed at this point in time that we are going to be, we're going to work this program and we're going to work it hard because, you know, this was, I also was just wrapping up divorce number two. Like I got divorced in 2015 you know, that's not a badge of honor. Well, no, I have two teenage boys at this point in time. I have two businesses. Like I'm like, I'm a Gemini by the way. So like, I like to do everything in twos. I have two moms. I have two, I have two dads. I have two dogs. I have two boys. Two jobs. Two two businesses. Not two jobs. Two businesses. Two businesses. Two divorces. Ha ha. You know, it's all funny. But, you know, so I'm like committed to like getting through this and like solving it. So I would like literally... I would just like go in there. What are we going to work on today? We have got to get this out. Yeah. We have to get it. You're just desperate, right? You're desperate. So during the years of growing up and as you're transitioning, finding your birth mom, um, meeting her physically, what was it that you didn't feel the ability to share this secret about your brother? Was it shame, embarrassment? If I ignore it, maybe it didn't happen, denial, all of the above. Um, so, I mean, I think as a, a little, little girl, like at eight, um, you know, there was the honest to God truth is I didn't feel safe to, I didn't feel safe 
to share. I didn't, I lived in fear yeah. in my own house. Right. Um, and I don't mean that fear, like I wasn't, yeah, I, I feel safe. I, I lived in fear of getting in trouble because um, I was expected to be the good one and to be perfect. Right. And I was by far a good and perfect child. I mean, trust me, I mean, mother would probably like roll her eyes if she was here. Like, how does she think this? But it's right. how I felt. Yeah, and they absolutely. were, they're my feelings. Right. And it's because I believe I didn't have the nurturing right. I needed. Absolutely. And I was in my own little world. Right. And I was like, uh, uh, you know, like it started the first time he violated me. We were in the car, wow. in the car, driving to my parents, to the grandparents' house in Indiana, in, in okay. the car, <laughs> driving to my grandparents' house in, in Indiana. And you're in the back seat. Like you're, you're, you're in the back seat right. in the Woody station wagon. Right. right. Like in the, in the wind, in the, you know, you know how it was like the big station wagons back in the yeah, 80s? Yeah, yeah, We have one of those. Wow. Like, and if, I mean... So if I'm right there, like in, in yeah. the bubble and I'm being violated, like, right. And where am I going to be safe? Right. You're in a car with who's supposed to be the safety, safest people on the planet. Something's happening right, literally right behind your parents' back. And it had to be shock and uh, shame and awe and confusion and anger I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Did you share any of this with your birth mom through the years? No. No. I understand that. I, I mean, you, you coming out and sharing some of the stuff now, I know is some of the first times in a, I'm going to use the word public manner that you're really sharing it. I know you've, you've, you've had the courage to, face it in therapy and in counseling and with your parents and through some friends. Uh, but I know that you're, you're not on your stepstool saying, here's my cause in life is to bring this truth to the table. It's just, you're dealing with it one day at a time. So your parents' reaction, kind of sweeping under the rug or dismissing you know, how is that from 2017 when you confronted your brother in Atlanta's coming out with this, these allegations, you're losing your shit with your mom and in anger and in rightful emotions. But how did that navigate? It's now almost 2021, the next few years with interacting with your parents and how did that transpire? Um. With my birth parent? Yeah. I'm sorry, your adoptive parents. With, adoptive with parents. That, so, I, I mean, it's all right. So, well, there was a lot of, I mean, it's, okay, so three years. So, um, there have been a lot of difficult conversations, a lot of difficult conversations. Um, I asked my parents to go get counseling. Um, they went, I don't know, once or twice. We'll give them a gold star that they went. I got some letters. I give them a gold star. They tried, but, um, let's just say it takes a lot of work. Yeah. I've been to therapy for 30 years. Yeah. I've tried a lot of modes. You're not going to get it right on two levels. Yeah. So I did recently have a conversation where, with my mom, where I said to her, I've come to the conclusion that we're just going to have to agree in order 
us to maintain our relationship yeah. that we're never going to talk about this again wow. and that we're going to have i i've come to accept that you are not capable of giving me the empathy right. and the compassion that i need from you right. and i'm willing to accept it right it hurts it hurts yeah well it's sad but she's not. Yeah. And I can't fault her for that because this is what I know. Hurt people hurt people. Yeah. And she didn't have a great life. And her mom wasn't the great mom to her. And she didn't have the benefit of 30 years of therapy. She didn't have, she had trauma in her life too. And she doesn't have the tools I have. And so she can't meet me where I am. And what's more important to me is to try to preserve it than to still be mad at her right. for failing. Or lose and lose a relationship. So. Right. It, it's not easy though yeah. to try to move past it. Right. But I am at the point where I do you call it forgiveness? Maybe it's forgiveness, but I think it's acceptance. I'm just accepting that she can't and it's okay and I know why and I know why she couldn't be the mother that I needed her to be um and she I mean she certainly tried she right. tried to do what she thought was right and right yeah and I wish I would know more about you know my mother's story growing up she was an only child but moreover even my two grandmothers I'd love to learn you know because hurt people do hurt people. And, you know, I grew up in a very loving home uh, and a very uh, safe home, but things still happen. And you, you we, we question and I, and I question, you know, is this the way that I am or is it because of something that happened, you know, in my parents' lives or their parents' lives that is trickling down and coming out sideways, but no one's really talking about things. And so there's a lot of that generational uh, hurt. And you sent me the best, I think it was yesterday, mm -hmm. one of the best little quotes that was like, hurt parents get yourself fixed before you have kids so that you don't like hurt your hurt kids your or kids. something like that. Yeah, yeah, so it's like, and again, like, you know, we're in our 40s and we have, like I said, five teenagers, young adults between us. And, you know, we thought, I thought I was invincible at 22. I thought I was invincible at 25, you know, and I'm, I'm having kids and I thought I'd be the best mom and that my dark side or my demons or my wounds or my trauma, I could hide or I could stifle or I could ignore or I could dismiss. And it always comes out somehow. Truth always comes out. Pain always comes out. And it's like, we're wired for this level of authentic relationships that squeezes out all the junk in us that we're supposed to walk around and hold whole and healed, which we're not, we're far from it. But that we're on this journey of our, our souls and our bodies are wanting to heal and we're keep like, shut up, I don't have time for you. I don't have time for you. I don't have time for trauma. I don't have time for, to discuss, you know, uh, my anger, my divorce, or my loss, or my affair, or my date rape, or my the death of a spouse, or any of that. We don't have time for that, so we stifle it down. 
And I really appreciate to say, I don't know if this is forgiveness or not, but I know that I have to a, accept this to preserve the relationship with my mom. And in the meantime, I'm going to continue to get therapy, mm-hmm. heal myself, mm-hmm. and try to get through that. Mm-hmm. You're a badass woman. <laughs> You're a badass woman. So you're, you didn't tell your birth parents, but then there was a new, all right, so there's so many layers of your story. So that another added piece of this is that you also got on a quest to find your birth father. Yeah. So you found your birth mother at age 16, 17 through the uh, Cleveland Public Library and dimes and phone calls. So what made you continue to pursue and at what point in your life, how old were you when you wanted to find out about your birth father? Well, I mean, since I was 16, right? I mean, takes two to tango. Right, I, I was not the immaculate conception. You weren't. You're not. I, no. You're, you're not. A, you're not a baby I, Jesus. No, no. No. All right. No. All right. But there's a baby Norman in the story. A baby Norman. Yes. What a baby Norman. All okay. right. Keep going. All right. So I, there was no father listed on the birth certificate. Right. Like what the, right? How is this possible? Well, you know, apparently you didn't have to list one. So was she raped? Hmm. Was it a one night stand and she right. didn't know who he was? Right. Was she hiding something? Right. Like what more questions, yeah. right? More questions. Right. So then, you know, and certainly I asked her in the letters back in the eighties, can you please tell me about him? And master of deflection, yeah. master of deflection. And you said she was just recently remarried though, too. Yeah. When you, yeah. So there's right. Probably, there's probably so that level I'm of like, like, yeah. Huh? Yeah. Huh? Right. And, you know, and she had this daughter. So I, so for better or for worse, my mind goes to the negative. So I, you know, in the back of my mind, what's wrong with me, right? You know, I have these medical issues. What else is wrong with me? And so I assumed probably, you know, subconsciously, you know, probably rape. Right. Right. Just make more, it would go along with my negative Nelly storyline, right? It would just work better. All right. Right. We'll run with that. All right. Um, so as you know, just little nuggets, you know, right. the, the, the main, always the main, you always the main one on the, on yep. the shoulder. Yep. So what, so, you know, it's just in there, but like no solution to the story, but you know, it's just there. Don't know who the birth father is. Don't know who it is. And, um, continues on. And then, you know, this movie city slickers comes out in like 83. Yeah. Right. And I don't, there've been a few movies in my life where I just watched this movie and I am like mesmerized by it. And it like just touches me. Right. And I tell you that baby Norman comes out, the cow. The cow. Because that's like one of the first times a real birth is like seen in a movie. I have to go to Colorado and I have to go meet the baby Norman. Wow. I have been, you talk to any of my friends from college. I was with them when I watched this movie. Laura wants to go to the Grand Canyon for, it was first or 40th birthday. It didn't happen. It is now my 50th birthday. It got shifted by 10 years. She wants to go to the Grand Canyon to meet the baby Norman. Wow. Any of them will tell you this. I've been saying it since 1980 or 92, whenever it came out, right? The baby Norman. Yep. I'm going to go meet the baby Norman. I'm going to meet the baby Norman. I'm going to meet the baby Norman. Okay. What do you want to do for your 40th birthday? I want to go to the Grand Canyon. I'm going to meet the baby Norman. Sure. Right. Okay. Okay. Go to EO. First thing I go to family picnic they give you this dna kit 
ancestry.com. I sit on this thing for like six months. One Saturday morning, I'm looking at it. I'm like, what do we got to lose? Not much. Spit in the DNA tip kit. Wow. Send it off. What do you know? Wow. There are a lot of people who I am related to. Wow. There are a lot of people. Now, let me tell you, my, my adopted family, I can count on both sides <laughs> of the family. First gen, like yeah. the first, both sides, right. fingers and toes. All of the aunts and cousins, right. fingers and toes. Wow. It's small very, small yep, very small on both sides. And right? the other side is blown out. It's like 40 people. Wow. Like, yeah, a big tree. Each. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, each side. And I'm lives. like, who's belonging to who? Yeah. And I am like, oh, I'm not Serbian. That explains why I burn before I tan. Because by the way, I am 25% Swedish. Oh, wow. Okay. But I do have brown, brown eyes. You do. I got <laughs> short change. Anyways, so Aunt Rosalie. Hmm is in there. So then I find someone else and I find someone else. The man's name is Norman. <laughs> no, it's not. Yes, it is. Literally. Yeah, this like and he burning, lives in Colorado. Burning in your soul. His his name is Norman and he lives in Colorado and I was conceived in Colorado. So this movie was made for you. Yeah, it was. That's awesome. So have you met this one yet? No, but I did send him a letter a couple of weeks ago, but I don't really expect him to write me back, okay. but I did send him a letter. That's awesome. Because I said, I will regret that if I don't Absolutely. send it. Right. I don't, I mean, at this point in time, what do I have to lose? Right. Like I've been through it all. Right. If he wants to join the journey, great. Yeah. That's, but, did, did your birth mom. Oh, by the way, I have three more sisters. Holy so God. there's four people that I have after me and them. Wow, that is that's no, it's beautiful. <laughs> I mean, it's beautiful. It's actually beautiful. So, does your birth mom know that you reached out to your birth father? She technically does not know that. <laughs> oh, I told her I was going to. We won't. And she told me that she was that that was okay. Okay. She's like, I well, okay. I can't tell you, can't. Yeah. You're like, you're right. I'm. They met on a job site. She's plumber, and he was a mason. Oh. Oh, and by the way, when I was in college. And I spent my semester in London. He was apparently in Germany for the U.S. Army overseeing the teardown of the wall in yeah. East Berlin. Yeah. And I actually was at the wall. Wow. Okay, so you could have literally walked past him. The baby Norman. The baby Norman. Okay, that's, that's crazy. Well, we'll see how this journey continues. You might have to have a part two with Laura here. <laughs> Can you share, because I know this is something that you and I both have uh, talked about off the books. Mm -hmm. you, both, you, you and I both have experienced through our own therapy and counseling. But what does, the audience might be like, what the heck is girl therapy? What does it even mean? You know, because it sounds odd, sounds a little weird you know, in your best words, layman terms, because, you know, we're not practitioners. What's your best way to describe what girl therapy is? Is that what she does? Is that what she's calling it now? I don't know. You use that. I, you just said it. You said I'm using little girl therapy. Oh, little girl therapy. Yeah, little oh, girl little girl therapy. therapy. Yeah. Oh, oh my God. It's the best. I first met it um, through like a meditation, like thing. Um, Louise Hay, it's on YouTube. It's where you envision that you're your little girl and you as a yeah. little girl and you go back 
and you're remembering what it was to be that little girl and you're either giving her compassion and love or you are um, having her give you compassion and love because sometimes she needs to give you direction and support Um, and sometimes you're holding her like right like you're giving her compassion love holding her um, but yeah, so it's like, you have to kind of go back or you're, or you're, you're going back and remembering like right. what was actually happening right. back then and getting in touch with the feelings because they get like boxed up and bogged down. Yeah. yeah. And then we, and then we, we have and to then let we, them out. Right. And those are the things of like, we put in a box, we push it down and then, you know, three more later, three years later goes by, something else happens. We put that in a box, we push it down. And so our adult self now is filtering through, you know, layers of these boxed emotions and they do come out sideways. Things come right. out sideways or I call them for me, uh, trigger trauma triggers. Yeah. So I have a reaction to something that does not even make sense. My very emotional, I'm very angry or I'm very scared or I'm sobbing or whatever that is. And I'm like, this, this situation here does not warrant this emotional reaction. But when you go through this journey back through suppressing emotions, situations, and putting them in boxes, it does make sense. Right. Or if she wasn't nurtured well enough, which might've been my case, she didn't have ever the tools that she needed to develop. And so she still acts like she's six. And then the adult acts like she's six. So it doesn't process the emotions, right? And I just yeah. recently, I'll share a little bit of my experience. I just recently did another therapy session and it was, I was observing myself and I, and I was fully awake. So I just had my eyes closed and it's just, you know, remembering myself as a six-year-old, 12-year-old, 16. And, and it wasn't even like prompted, like, tell me when you were six. It was like, give me, you know, uh, a memory of, you know, sometime when you were young and, you know, an age popped up and, you know, it's like, what do you see? What do you see in her eyes? Uh, is she happy? Is she sad? Is she excited? And it was interesting as I progressed from, you know, under 10 to 16 to graduation through marriage through, you know, a couple years ago, when I was remembering, and again, it's your subconscious, but there were times where I had such a light in my eyes mm-hmm. and such hope. And other times where you could just see, like, I had a smile, always had a smile on my face, but there was no light in the eyes. And just bringing and 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 it's almost like those the chain is is broken on some type of emotional level and it's going back and like fixing these breaches or or cracks to heal our subconscious and our emotions it's powerful powerful so fast forward 2020 mm-hmm. where are you at on this journey with your birth mom your birth parents your brother your boys, like you, you, like I said, you're a badass woman. You've gone through a lot. You are one of the most uh, resilient women I know. Thank you. You are confident. You are a blast to hang around with. <laughs> uh, and how do you feel, you know, your day to day of, and I know you're still just struggling with some back issues, but, you know, fast forward to 2020 today and, you know, who are you today and what's your walk in life look like right now? Um. I feel good. Like I do. I really feel good. Um, it's been a grueling 
three years and I don't know that I'm done. I don't know that I will ever be done. Like I believe that life is a lesson, right? And our opportunity is to just keep learning and, and growing, right? So, um, but I do feel like I am coming out of a tunnel, like out of a, a chapter is coming to a close and there's a new, I don't want to call it new beginning because I don't think I'm starting something new. I just think I'm coming through something um, and I'm optimistic and I'm hopeful. And I definitely feel like an amazing level of calm that I have never felt before. Awesome. Never. I mean, I still get agitated and I'm sure I still yell at people and raise my voice, but my thinking is like 3000 times more clear. I have seen like the way I can like do stuff at work is like so much better. I don't know. Like, I just feel like a different person, different person. And it's beautiful because you give me, you know, we were just having dinner the other night, but you, you're able to frame situations in such wisdom nuggets like you you you're gonna see you laugh you're like what no I feel like it's full like jackass like comedian like sometimes I'm just like whatever you frame things (laughs) to not allow people to take away your power and it's in a gentle at least it comes across as gentle and wise give me an example so we were at dinner the other night you were talking about a situation with uh one of your ex-husbands and they're you, in my phone is one and two. One and two. <laughs> I only have one. I better never have two. So help me God. So I wouldn't even say which one was one or two, but how you framed, like it was so kind and, but it was your power. It was like, um, so tell me, you know, how you want me to help. Tell me how you want me to you know, help in the situation where I'd be like, uh, back off, Jack. I love how you frame conversations or texts and you, you, I've seen you do it in EO. I've seen you do it in business. I've seen you do it in networking. I've seen you do it when you're like, mm, you can tell like you're not really happy or someone's pissing you off, but you, you can frame it in a way that it doesn't take away your power. You're not small and you are using your words to put to position the conversation in a really strategic way. And you have a gift for that. And I want to compliment you on that. Well, I want to thank you for that because I think I've had to work at that because I do not know that five years ago, people would say that about me. I think they would say that I was off the rails and I was inappropriate and whatever. And I've been in situations with you too that you just spouted off. We're all there, but (laughs) you've done... um, amazing work to raise two teenage boys by yourself. Like there's a lot, there's a lot to be complimented and I want you to feel that love and admiration for me to you. Thank you. So as we're wrapping this up, I always want to end with what gift do you want to give to the audience? What do you want the women to hear from your heart to theirs that may just shift one little piece in their mind, their heart, their soul, their spirit to activate courage, voice, truth, power, alignment, community. And it doesn't have to be anything big. It can just be something, but I'd love for you to kind of give some last closing thoughts to the audience. Oh, thank you. Um, okay. So a couple of like things that 
I think, at least for me, when I think about this. So the first thing is definitely this whole concept of tools and therapy and things that I've learned. Like this has been a journey, right? It's a 30 years since I first started really trying to dig into this. And it's definitely therapy. It's meditation. I, I tried the journaling thing. It doesn't work for me sure. per se. I mean, I tried it, but it doesn't really work for me. But um, and different modes of therapy and I've had different therapists. So I just think that there are things and books. I, I love books and articles um, and community around like the whole Adoption Network Cleveland. And then there's um, community of survivors. I've been on the sexual abuse side, like it's just people I've met, like the number of women whose stories I had heard since I started talking about it. It is so depressing. Yeah. It is so depressing how many people. So I think just using your voice, but the I guess what I want to say is that using the tools that are available really has helped me. And when I finally started using them and like leaning into it, it's when I started to get better. And so I would just encourage anyone that is struggling to just really just take a moment for yourself and just do the work right. and to use the tools. And if one's not working, then try right. another one. Right. If the therapist isn't working for you, try another one. And if that book didn't work, try another yeah. one. Like, because there's so much stuff out there and there are ways you can right. heal, right? right? That's one thing. Um, and this whole, like, for me, the, this, I mean, the whole adoption thing, like I've, it was really easy to talk about it. Like it's an easy topic. Everybody knows about it. I mean, maybe people, you know, actually it was, it was interesting. My, my current therapist is very um, supportive. And it was even this, this last week, she was like, that's interesting that people would say that to you. So it was like, oh, you were lucky to be, people will say to me, oh, you were lucky, so lucky to be adopted by my parents sure. um, who by people who know my parents sure um yeah right I, well, I was right lucky and I was so lucky to get adopted into this family right. that has so much right. trauma in it right. like was I really lucky right. like I was really right lucky right <laughs> you're like I don't know what type of, what type of luck are you talking about Vegas but, lucky or <laughs> no I get but, that um but so um that family that I was adopted into has a deep history. Um, so my aunt was abused by her father and brother, and she has been a huge resource to me. And my other aunt from that side, who's married into the family, has been like so helpful to me. And um, so talking about the issues and like we are working really hard to break the cycle, right? And so to have like a network like within the family who's willing to talk about it and to work about taking it out from under the rug has been like really sport. Now everybody's not gonna have that, right. but um, if you can find it, yeah. like it's been really helpful to me um, in this journey right. too, because I do think the more 
especially on the sexual abuse side, because it's an unseen and an unheard thing and it is really damaging. Yeah. And it causes people to isolate and go into silence. And when you activate the voice in the community, Mm -hmm. I was just on a Zoom call the other day with three other women talking about, you know, some of the the podcasts and the stories I'm gathering and and I said the reality is I am learning very fast as as I'm talking more publicly about women's issues and women's sexual abuse and trauma and date rape and rape and uh that my gut says it's about 90% of women. My gut. 90 my gut I could be wrong. I would love to see the data has had some form of sexual abuse and molestation, date rape, rape, almost rape. Like one I was on the phone was like, this man was on top of me in college. And unless I screamed, it was going to happen. So like, that's a trauma. I mean, that's trauma. So did she get raped? No, would I, but I would put her in that 90. 90% of women have had some sort of sexual trauma abuse in their life is my gut. So I could be totally wrong. And again, I'm not a scientist or a, a black uh, hole specialist, like we talked earlier, but <laughs> the more I'm talking, I think that more women will share their stories mm-hmm. and we'll find more and more women who say, yeah, that never happened to me. There are stories under there because it's shh, keep it quiet, be the good girl, stay silent. And you just do. And you don't want to be the woman in your thirties, forties, fifties, sixties that's for the first time coming out and saying, Hey, you know what? My dad abused me or my uncle abused me, or I was date raped or I was roofied or I was this. So you don't want to have that stigma. And that's my gut 90. We'll see as we continue to move forward through the series. No, but it's sickening. But it's sick. So I am honored that you were here today. Thank you and for having you're me. You're so welcome. And your tears of truth and healing, like, as you're even crying today, like your eyes are bright and you still have this smile on your face and honored that you had the courage to share your story and your journey with uh, me and with the women who will be listening to this as well. So I really appreciate you. Thank you. You're very welcome. So thank you today for tuning in and we look forward to you experiencing this podcast with Laura as I uh, share her story with you guys and look forward to connecting with you next week. And have a good day. All righty, bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Genesis Speaks podcast. If you love the show, one of the best things you can do is to share it with a friend. Tell them what you like about it, how it inspires you, and invite them to listen. Subscribe to the Genesis Movement to empower women's voices and reclaim the power over your own narrative.